I'm black, you're white. Now what? So what if I say the wrong thing? You probably will. Who doesn't? But I'll do my best to listen. Maybe if we're humble enough to listen to each other. Maybe if we're brave enough to lean into those difficult conversations. We might. We could. Come up with some answers. Make some real progress. Discover how much we have in common. And appreciate our differences. Now you're talking. Well, good morning. Normally we say good evening, but today we're doing a special uh, wake up early Sunday morning uh, recording. So good morning. I'm David Conley, communications consultant. And I'm Chris Thurber, clinical psychologist. And welcome to another episode of I'm Black, You're White, Now What? And uh, today we do, this is Double Down Sunday. We got two white people and two black people. So we are, <laughs> we're ready. And we're international and we're international with it. So ready? this is going to be a great episode. Um, well, first of all, let me just say Happy New Year uh, to everybody. And uh, especially to you, Doc. Um, I was blessed to be able to spend some time with you and the family um, just a little bit before christmas holiday which was great um so we really had a good time up in boston and appreciate that and i don't know about you but our our christmas uh was really nice uh was able to take the family to the north georgia mountains uh where we had a nice cabin uh that we sort of verbaled or whatever and uh just you know had some nice reconnecting time uh with just my wife and the kids and it was uh it was really good. And then that was a great time for us to to do all of that before we sent Jacob back off to to college. And so he's back there now and hopefully uh, being safe with all of the Omicron uh, things going on, because a lot of people are testing positive even up there and Boston was doing pretty good with it. But how was uh, how was your holiday? It was good. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Happy New Year to everyone. I was also blessed to be able to spend good amount of time with family. Uh, Simo, my wife, and I went with our boys to see my brother in San Francisco and mm-hmm. uh, played a lot of dominoes and cards and did mm-hmm. a lot of good cooking. Yes. And then we were back yeah. here for a week of just being at home and chilling out. And uh, yeah, we're now a week into, uh, well, the continuation of the winter term at school. And mm-hmm. it's a little bit of students being in their rooms and isolating as we did uh, in the fall of 2020. But hopefully, as you said, it's short-lived and um, with vaccinations and masks and everything, we can um, be back to a little bit more of in-person learning. But um, yeah, so it's great. And as you said, we're really excited because a bit of an international show today. We're joined by Mm -hmm. Johan LaRue and Mazamo Malloy, who in a moment, uh, we'll introduce themselves, but are joining us both from Johannesburg, South Africa. So uh, about 5.30 in the evening there. Gentlemen, thank you for taking some time out of your, your Sunday evening to, to be our guests. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having me. Uh, hopefully I don't fall asleep because as you guys would say, <laughs> uh, I, had a, I just came from a cookout, as you guys would say. Uh-huh. So uh, oh. hopefully I don't get the itis. So, yeah, yeah so no, hopefully right. you don't. <laughs> well, teach me some. What is it? What before you uh, give us your bio, Mazama? What, what is a cookout in in South African? I mean, uh, so, what would you call so it? So we call it. So we call it a braai. And, a braai. Uh, okay. A braai, and it's it's very it's it's very meat 
meat oriented. So, um, so it had a lot of, had, had a steak, had some sausage, what we call vos and salad, uh, bread is optional, um, <laughs> drinks and dessert. So that was, was wow. good. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, so, we, so we, we, we kind of do it all. Yeah. If you want to take right. a quick nap in the middle, uh, you know, it's totally no, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, my prize, the, the yeah. salad is optional, you know, that's like, <laughs> so what's the point of a cookout with salad? But anyway, there you go. It's, yeah. Color. It's I guess. Try, try, trying to yeah. keep it to that, to that new year, new me type thing, you know, it's uh, right, it's right, right. Balance, balance is key balance. Yeah. <laughs> well, Zama, tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll, we'll hear from Johan. We'll have a great discussion. We're so, we're so happy to have you both here with us. Yeah. Yeah. I am a 30-something uh, South African, um, so I currently reside in Johannesburg, um, so by ethnicity, I'm black, so, um, so I've lived in Johannesburg pretty much most of my entire life, but I grew up in a township called Soweto, well, in the townships of, of Johannesburg called Soweto. Uh, I have a background in IT and, and web development and then switched over into sports media and broadcasting. Um, so I've been in broadcasting and voiceover work predominantly for the last seven years. And also I am really, we're big on, on multiculturalism as a, as a family. And that's the ethos of our, of our community in terms of, 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 of reaching others. So reaching the other and trying to make the other known. Um, so a, a, a lot of our work, or at least a lot of our, a lot of our relationships are about how do we, how do we, um, how do we cross the bridge, whether it's someone of a different ethnicity or someone of a different standing in, in society. So, so yeah, so that's me. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Welcome. Yeah. Johan. So yeah, I'm, I'm Johan Leroux. Uh, I just want to make a quick correction. I actually don't live in Johannesburg at the moment. So I'm in Cape Town. And um, okay. as, a, as, a, as a Cape Tonian, I feel very proud to live in, in Cape Town because it's <laughs> the most beautiful place in the world. Um, it's, it's not mm. as smoky as the big smoke of Johannesburg. Uh, so I just wanted to make that correction. Uh, but yeah, I'm also a 30-something. Uh, I'm married. I've got two boys. One is four, one is one. Um, was also in sport broadcasting for a few years and then recently switched over to psychology. So I'm currently working as a clinical psychologist in a prison uh, or a correctional services center in the Western Cape. And yeah, I suppose um, one, of the, one of the things that, that grew, drew me to psychology is my deep fascination with people and, and how people work. And, and I think the more I learn about people, the more I learn about myself as well. And I realized that the more I learn, the more that there's still so much to learn um, and, and I'm just really excited about this conversation also to learn from you, but also hopefully to, to learn more about myself through the process as well. So thank you very much for, for having me as a guest. Yeah, no, we're, we're thrilled. And I should let our, our viewers and our listening audience know that I was um, honored to be a guest on Johan's podcast. And we'll put links and contact information uh, for folks who are watching this on YouTube underneath the video and um, for listings on Spotify and other podcatchers, we'll make sure that uh, people want to be in touch with either of you, they can. But Johan invited me to be a guest on his parenting podcast. And, uh, and then through Johan, David and I got to meet Zamo. And I guess one question that I'd love to lead with, because the four of us are fathers, um, and whether a father or mother or parent of some sort, I, I think that um, 
David and I have had a lot of conversations in the past about how we've spoken with our kids and our kids are older than your kids. Um, you know, David has kids in their twenties and mine are 17 and 19. Um, you have kids who are one and a half, five, seven, eight. Um, and I, I'm watching, you know, headlines here in the United States, uh, that have to do with social justice and racial tension. Um, uh, for example, just this week, um, Ahmad Arbery's three assailants were sentenced to life in prison. Um, and, you know, people are watching these headlines very closely. And I put that for myself in the context of, say, um, the civil rights movement and the ways in which, um, you know, since the 60s, the 1960s, there has been, um, you know, very slow uh, actualization of some of the hopes and dreams of that, that movement. And more recently in South Africa, um, the abolition, you know, sort of legally of uh, apartheid in the early 90s. But again, uh, you, you can pass a law, it doesn't instantaneously result in social change. So I'm just curious, to hear from both of you about any interesting conversations you've had with your children, who, as I said, are younger than mine or David's, about ethnicity, about race, about uh, the history of apartheid. Um, this is a big overarching question, but if you can focus on a, a particular conversation or two, I think it would be fascinating for me anyway to hear in a different country with a different history but perhaps with some of the same um, goals in terms of equity what that sounds like on the ground when a parent talks to their child sure so i have a seven-year-old daughter well she turned seven in february and one of the things that so the context of this is that so I I'm in a mixed um, mixed ethnicity relation uh, marriage, um, so my daughter looks looks like me but doesn't look like me, um, and but she's much more beautiful than me. Thank God. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so she is living in a in a in a world that I didn't grow up in. So the the context of of, of where she where she's coming up is completely different. Um, there's an element of being upwardly mobile. Uh, element of 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 experiencing things that I wouldn't have necessarily experienced while she, when I was growing up, and so it's especially being South Africa being the country that it is um, of our past with apartheid, it uh, our struggles now or at least the, the 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 sharp end of the stick is becoming a economic struggle, but because of our past, uh, economic inequality is tied to race, so. You, we, we have this, the, this, so you, there's still a lot of people are living in places where they were ordered to live. So yeah, there, obviously there's been a, a lot of crossover, but for the, for the most part, a lot of black people are still living where black people were, were pushed to, to live, whether it's out on the outskirts of town, that kind of thing. And so my, 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 my daughter will ask me questions like, dad, why do those people not have cars to drive around with? Hmm. And then 
And like, so obviously she sees the line of black people waiting to get on a bus or in a taxi. And she's, so she's starting to, to ask these questions. What, 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 why don't they, why don't they have a car? And then starting to then, okay, am I going to push out this conversation until she's 10 and act like it doesn't right. exist? Or am, I right. go, or am I going to start deconstructing um, and start talking about this, about the situation? And I think for my wife and I, we found that we've tried to be as age appropriate as possible, but there's just some things that you can't, you, you can't, you can't um, put on a rose tinted glasses as, as, as they'd say. So it's the conversations around, this is the case regarding our past. Uh, people were, because on the basis of their skin color, they were uh, forced to live in, in, in other places and things were taken away from them. Um, so trying to explain for her in a way she understands why it is that a majority of black people are, are in public transport. And she'll ask a question around, so Soweto is effectively what David, you'd call the, the hood, right? So, right. So, so then she'll ask, why is it dirty here, mm-hmm. right? And then, then the, the, the uncomfortability, and it's uncomfortable because I'm like, oh, what is she saying about where I grew up? But mm-hmm. then there's the element of, yeah, there's also, there's the past, but then there's the current social, um, there's the current um, service delivery issues that we've got in the country and, and those tensions right now. So it's, it's having to have those honest conversations with, with, with my daughter and it's stuff that even when I've tried to put it off, I'm like, okay, sweetie, you know what? Let me, let's talk about this next week. And I'll tell you four days, four days later, she'll say, dad, remember that conversation we had about, about, about a date. Can we talk about it? Because mm. w- w- one of the things that happens is that obviously they, they, they learn about history. And so she's going into the first grade this year and they'll talk about history. And then she was only hearing it from a certain sp- perspective. Um, so um, one of the things that we're trying to do as well is get in, is get in front of the, get in front of it where we're actually, at least she's hearing it from us and not from someone who perhaps has a, a, I'm not saying they're not being divisive or anything like that, but so that, so when we talk about it, that she understands who, who she is, that grapple around identity, her understanding that um, being taught by someone who's, who's, who's of a darker skin tone does not mean it's, in, it's inferior. Um, trying to make sure that she understands that um, getting instruction from, from Uncle David is just as good as getting instruction from, from, from Uncle Johan. And so, so those are the kind of things that we've, we've, been, we've, we've been forced to, 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 to upskill on, um, having those kind of conversations, trying to create conversations around like new kinds of heroes, right? Mm. Because yes, my daughter loves Frozen. She's in it. She loves Rapunzel. She loves um, Paw Patrol. She's in there, right? Um, and 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 and, th- and those are good shows. They 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 talk, they talk about certain certain values, but then also it's 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 also the framing in terms of like, but there are other heroes out there as well. So mm-hmm. we've been really helped with having like talking about throwing a Moana, for instance, and going out there looking for content which speaks to to who she is as well. Speaks about diversity. Speaks about um, inclusivity. Uh, for instance we were watching the movie Vivo on Netflix uh, late last year. And she goes, mom, I really like this movie. There are a lot of brown people in it, you know? <laughs> and, and, mm-hmm. and, and so it was just like, okay, so, so she does notice. Um, so it's, it's about having those, those difficult conversations with her, but also getting her to understand that, you know, this is where we, we come from. 
but this is where we work working towards yeah mm-hmm. I, I really love that because i think that's exactly what what we also try to do is just to be having open open and honest conversations before our children learn messages that might be incorrect from other people and like you said yeah. When I was growing up, I noticed that there were certain people that drove in cars and certain people that used public transport. And nobody explained the history of South Africa to me when I was four or five years old. And so I made my own assumptions. Okay, well, this type of group of people, they are obviously wealthy. That means they must be more intelligent or whatever the case is. And as a child, you don't really think about that. Those are just the assumptions that you make. And I Mm. think that's where we've also tried to be really intentional with our children and our oldest is only four four and a half now so we've also tried to be age appropriate but just to be honest with him and I think the one kind of little story that maybe illustrates something that I was also that that he experienced at school was um, in South Africa um, a lot of people speak Afrikaans and so the one color that they use is called, and a lot of people still call it this, they call it men's clear, which is human color. And it's that pink, whitish type of color. And obviously one of the other, <laughs> one of the other, <laughs> one of the other um, kids at the school must have used that. So our son came home and he said, no, this is the color that he used. And so we also just use that as an opportunity to say, well, that doesn't mean that just because you're that color that you're immense and other people or a human and other people are not humans. Um, and so that was an opportunity that we looked for just to try and explain to him that maybe in the past, people of color or black people weren't uh, valued as human beings because unfortunately that's the history that we have yeah. as South Africans. Mm. Um, and then also to kind of just, explain what are some of the repercussions of that and that's also interesting because I often try to as a psychologist I want to hear what my children are thinking most of the time so um, he's also in a little school now where there are people with white skin and people with darker skin and and I try to kind of engage him on that and to ask him if it means anything to him and at the moment he's still like well no this person has darker skin and it doesn't mean anything but I know as he grows up um, and he grows a little bit older he might start attaching meaning to different colors and I guess that's where we as the parents have a responsibility to try and explain to him well just because somebody has the certain skin color doesn't mean that he's any less of a human being um, or just because you other people at school maybe teaches them certain things. Um, it doesn't mean that that is true. Uh, and, and then use that as an opportunity to kind of explain to him the history of our country. And I suppose the history that has um, played itself out in all countries all over the world. Right. I'm curious because you guys both brought up uh, school. And so uh, here in the U.S., you know, there was a big debate about um, what they're calling critical race theory. Um, and a lot of the fear, as I see it, um, is that people have been teaching American history one way, uh, meaning these are the people who did everything mm-hmm. uh, for America. And one month out of the year, uh, we'll come in and talk about some darker skinned people who, you know, may have stumbled on a few things or whatever, but really the people who, you know, made this country what it is, uh, or, or these people and, and this is how they did blah, 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 without covering basically the good, the bad and the ugly and critical race theory, uh, is supposed to essentially give everybody sort of, you know, like the, what the real history is, not to put down uh, 
white people or the accomplishments of anybody who was white and accomplished anything in the country, but to raise all the people who, you know, made contributions to the greatness of the country. So I guess I'm, my question is, and I'm just saying this because I'm ignorant of uh, South African history to a large degree, but I'm just wondering if what they're teaching in school uh, is similar to, you know, how they're teaching it over here where they're minimizing that, that teaching has minimized the contributions of people of color, uh, of women, uh, you know, uh, and all of that in school. And now the push for that representation more is causing this, this big, huge, you know, sort of academic uh, upheaval with some parents. So I'm just wondering, is there any sort of experience like that with you all where you have to be particularly intentional. I know you touched on a little bit of intentionality with your with your children, but where you have to, I would think now if I had children as young as uh, you all, um, that I would have to be even more, I would be inspired to be even more intentional about making sure that they were aware and that I was teaching that, um, you know, more so in my house. So I'm just curious as to uh, the experience in South Africa for that. Um, so I guess I'm, so my daughter is going into formative education or formal education Mm -hmm. now in terms of first grade. So haven't necessarily, um, been exposed to what, what is the curriculum in terms of this is what we teach, but from broad strokes, because of, I guess also there, there's the, um, what our past, the opportunity with our past is that they there because we were so late in the game um in terms of when when things ended is that we can't we can't act like it didn't happen so yeah. the, the 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 thing around our past the thing around uh where we come from why we are at the situation where we're at that's that that that's um more present. common conversation yeah mm-hmm. so it's so it's no one can no one can try and 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 plaster over the, the truth of this is what happened that legislative separate development was was, was legislation that um, black people couldn't get married to white people that it was illegal to 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 fraternize with a certain group of, of people um, so I, I think in, in terms of our education system there's there's more a case of for us because because of, of, our, of our past as more a, a, a thing of we know where we come come from so how do we you how do we then go forward, knowing what we've experienced? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think for the most part, because like I, like I said earlier, right now it's a tilt towards economics, because at the end of the day, how do how do we how do we change a nation? Is 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 by making sure that our our, our economy is um is, is is pushing in the right direction. So it would be very easy actually to let's just make this an econo- an economics thing, it's a jobs thing. But we have a past that speaks to why we are we are where we're at. It's in our faces every day. Mm. So it's we can try and be nice about it in our in our in our in our little huddles. But even when we when we, when we talk about our education system, we we can't av- we can't avoid it. Um, I think it's going to be interesting when we as we continue to um, 
track with our daughter in terms of what are the things that they're learning in school, uh, whether or not we're, we're going to say, hold up, you need to talk about this at length, or at least you need, you need to give the, uh, a broad expression to what they're learning, not just a, this was World War One, World War Two, apartheid, moving on. Um, interestingly enough, at the, at the Bry, the cookout I was at earlier, uh, my friend's father, he's a teacher, and he was telling me how the kids really get interested um, in terms of like World War I, World War II. These are big events. There's a war, all of that. But then when they have to learn about apartheid, they're like, oh, and these are kids of, of multiple, uh, many ethnicities, black, white, colored, Indian. And for them, it's like, ah, oh, well, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't hit home as much, right? Mm. But then he said, okay, but I need you to go find someone who lived through the legislated part of this. And when these kids come back with, with the stories of what they've learned, it, that's where it hits home. Because it, it could be easy for him to, to for them to, to, to just teach it and then leave it. Let's, let's move on to, to, to the Renaissance or let's move on to um, a, a, another part of the world. But it's, it's, it takes intentionality for, for young people to, to actually learn and understand what are, what are the reasons that we're here. Um, there's a song um, the other day that I was listening to a lady by the name of Tanisa Mazwai. She's, I don't know who she's quoting, but she says, the world changes, revolutionaries die, and children forget. Um, so it's one of those things where we have to con- continue to remind ourselves of where, we're at, of, of where we come from, but also strive to move forward. It's, the, it's almost like we're, I was talking with a friend of mine earlier today, that it's, it's the tension of living with now, living in the now, and wanting what we, what we see is best for us in the future. Um, so I think our education system, from where I'm sitting at, we can't avoid conversations around, around our past. Yeah. I think for, for me, because I also, my, my children aren't in uh, what we call primary school yet. So their education that they get is still very much just about learning how to read and write and, and do very basic things. Um, but I remember when I went to high school, which was in 2002, 2003, which was almost 10 years after um, South Africa's democracy, mm-hmm. we were still being taught about um, the apartheid years and about 1950 and, and where the national government took over. And we did go through the whole history and eventually how South Africa became a de- democratic uh, country. But nowhere was the apartheid years really criticized too heavily. Now, that might mm-hmm. be because of the teacher that I had or the school that I was attending. Um, but but that was part of the curriculum. And I know that things have changed now, but how much they've changed, I, I don't know if, if it is enough, because I do think that a lot of the, the history that we are still being taught, um, not enough is being taught about people's lived experiences. I think everybody now knows about apartheid, but nobody knows what it really did to people and how terrible it was for people. But not just that how that continues to affect people nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I do think right. that you probably get some teachers and, and educators who are trying to have those conversations, but I think that's probably where, what we need to do more and more of is just to explain to people and, and for somebody like myself to really get an understanding of, sure, this is what it meant for you back then, but this is still how it continues to affect you now. This is still how it continues to affect your family. This is what I didn't have to experience as a white South African. This is the privilege that I've had. And like I said earlier, uh, it's not just about 
yeah, not, not just about kind of knowing that with, with head knowledge, but really trying to understand people's lived experiences. And that's why I loved what you said, Nzamo, about um, getting people's stories, because that's when that really starts hitting home and, and you get a really good understanding of, sure, this is actually what it meant for a lot of people. Resonated with them or what happened. Yeah, it's, it's you know, as uh, going back to something Nzamo said, um, just in your introduction, the the idea of trying to better understand the other um, rather than uh, I've heard people use it, use the word other as a transitive verb, like I'm othering someone um, instead of seeing what our commonalities are, focusing on what the differences are. And um, even though many of those differences can be celebrated, differences are also, you know, historically and in the present day leveraged to um you know to fuel prejudice and subjugate other people whether as david said it's someone of di a different ethnicity or someone with a different gender identity and it is remarkable to me that this critical race theory which is you know 40 years old um is being misunderstood in a reactionary way by so many American parents as um, critical as a synonym for put down rather than critical as a synonym for academically honest or, you know, complete, like I'm going to offer, you know, here's my criticism of this movie or uh, I'm going to talk about what I liked about it. I'm going to talk about what I didn't like about it. I'm not just going to malign it. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's um, coming from the parents. I haven't spoken to any young people at the summer camps to which I consult or the schools I visited or my own kids. Um, they seem quite open to a more balanced and therefore honest view of history than the grownups who are some of them wanting to protect their kids. I'm talking about white parents wanting to protect their white kids from feeling badly about what other white people have done in the past. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that parents should give their white parents should give their white kids a bit more credit for being able to uh take a critical look, critical in the sense of complete at many aspects of, of US history and for that matter, world history. But it's, it's remarkable. Um, and I hope that the conversations that the two of you as, as parents are having, as you said, Mazamo, in you know, the most age appropriate way that you can. And it's not a conversation, of course, a series of conversations, which depending mm -hmm. on the questions and you know, the age of your child, are, are different each time, but yes, just um, even though we're talking about uh, legislation and change in the United States that predates the, the um, I guess abolition is the right word um, of legally of apartheid in South Africa, um, we're encountering, as David pointed out, some of the same resistance 
and I, yeah. Searching Go ahead. And I I got it. I'm sorry. I have a a sort of, um, I guess a a question. I, this is fascinating to me too, because, um, like Chris just said, some of the same things, you know, we're, we're dealing with, even though the, the timelines of certain uh, change, legislative or whatever, is uh, is different, but some of the same uh, issues. So this this question is more for uh, Chris and Johan. I'm just uh, I'm curious. Okay, so just to set the question up earlier, um, Chris mentioned about uh, the Ahmaud Arbery uh, case. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm imagining you guys may have heard about it. Um, but Ahmaud Arbery was a black man running through a, a, a neighborhood here in uh, Georgia. He was jogging and he stopped and looked at a house that was being framed out and then was continuing to run on. And three men uh, got in the truck, basically chased him down at gunpoint. And when he tried to defend himself, because obviously he was in fear, um, they shot him. Uh, you know, and in in killed him. And so they were recently um, convicted and sentenced to life in prison. So when I'm having a discussion um, about that, a lot of people were, felt like the sentence was just. But then one person was saying to me, well, they had to do that because Black people would have rioted in the streets, which is, you know, a very true statement. But I was suggesting that there is a scenario where the judge, albeit white, was a person who may have been a just individual and doled out the sentence according to how he felt the rule of law was and what was fair. I'm saying this because historically here uh, in a lot of cases, the at least the perception is, especially from black people, is that if a white person is on trial for killing a black person, that white person is going to either get off scot-free or get a much lighter sentence than either they should or than their black counterpart in a similar situation. So the the fear and expectation is that the white judge, simply because he's dealing with three white men who killed a black person, will not give them life in prison, but maybe give them, you know, uh, 10 years probation or something, you know, crazy. Um, But I'm saying this all to set up a question because I'm thinking there's a scenario where this man said, hey, you know what? This is wrong. What they did was heinous. It was wrong. It was inhumane and they should go to prison for life. And he gave them that sentence, not because he feared rioting in the streets or not because of some other uh, mitigating consequence that that would then force his inherently racist heart to make this decision. You know what I mean? So I want to know from Chris in America and Johan in South Africa, how you deal with or if it even occurs to you or have to deal with but how do you deal with in these conversations the assumption, the immediate assumption that you're the villain? Like historically, you have been in the villain class. And so now when you're in these things, 
you I, and I'm, I don't know you, Johan, you're, you're probably, you know, like uh, like the most evil some gun uh, in, in South Africa and America. But I, I doubt it from what I'm just <laughs> here. But I know uh, Chris Thurber and, and I know that that he is not that guy from his heart. You know what I mean? And that he's well intentioned, um, that he wants uh, the best for people and and that kind of thing. So I just wonder when you are dealing out here, like, does that weigh on you? Do you experience that? What is that? What is that like? Because I think a lot of times there's just an assumption that that you're either feeling what I think you're feeling or that you're okay with being, you know what I mean? The, this, this privileged guy who looks down on, on me and Muzama. Christy, you want to respond and I'll, I'll respond off to you. Sure. I mean, I, it, one of the things that I would say, David, is that, um, as a consequence of the seven, eight year friendship that you and I have and the 23 years that I've been working at Phillips Exeter Academy with, um, you know, a student body that, um, you know, nearly 40% of whom identify as a member of a traditionally underserved minority um, or underprivileged minority and um, and a very diverse faculty is that I am able to separate, I think, the criticism of a particular white person or white people in general from a criticism of me as a white person. So I, I, my lived experience is that I've not over-personalized critiques of white privilege or the way that um, a white judge might act or the way that someone might. No, no, I guess I'm asking. I just want to be clear. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but I want to know in times if there have been in times where you personally have had a conversation with somebody who is uh, with a group of black students, a black student or whatever, where the conversation is sort of hamstring off rip because you're a white man. And so you obviously think this, this, and this, or this is obviously where you're coming from, whatever. So not like I'm putting, for instance, the, the, sentencing of these white men on you but i'm saying just i was using that as an example to say that the assumption immediately about this white judge is that he's doing what he's doing for fear of some other reprisal as opposed to uh just from the fact that he is a man who is just who happens to be white i'm saying i'm sure there are circumstances where you are dealing with the best intentions in a conversation with Anybody doesn't have to be a young person at the school. It could be anybody. But in that conversation, you notice that you are being, uh, that the assumption is being made that you are coming from a particular place that you're not coming from by verse based on the fact that you are a white man. So I'm, I'm asking about your personal experience with that. Yeah. 
Well, now I better understand your question. And it's the answer is it's it's been hard, um, but that difficulty is nothing in comparison to what um, perhaps you or Mazamo or someone else with much darker skin deals with on a consistent basis. And um, I, I would say that I used to be more defensive of my personal position, like, hey, I'm not that person. I'm not, you know, and I'm more, I'm more patient uh, and reflective when I am mischaracterized now because I'm white, thinking, you know, as uh, Mazamo and Johan both said in different ways earlier about, well, what does it mean? This, this person may not know me particularly well, but I don't know them enough to know what in their life experience has led to mischaracterizing me in this way. So I try to take a, a more patient step back and see it uh, in the context of um, what like racial inequity has been. Um, and I can honestly say that it, that's, that is in my life something that's like much more recent, I would say in the last four or five years that I've been, um, you know, started to be able to do. Um, as I said, I used to take it much more personally and therefore be much more defensive. I don't know, Johan, what it has been like for you. I, I think I've also had a very similar experience where I would say, yeah, probably more than five years ago, I was also very defensive when somebody would make an accusation to say that well, all white people are racist or all you are just like other people um, in, in some ways. And not that it, that, that happened often, but I think there was always this kind of understanding when you see a black person, then then they might think that you're a certain way and you might think that, that they're a certain way. And there's a lot of confusion. And I think that was always quite uncomfortable and I didn't like that. And um, I, I maybe also would have responded, tried to very quickly respond to say, well, I'm not like them. Or um, I, I know here in South Africa, the, the line is always, but but I have black friends. And so that is supposed <laughs> to kind of cure you from, from being racist uh, completely. Um, but, but again, I, I think that's where... And, and I, I suppose I'll, I'll be honest as well. At, at some point, I also would have felt a little bit sorry for myself to think that, oh, but I'm just put in this group. Mm -hmm. um, and and to think that, okay, well, maybe you become a little bit successful. People will say, well, that's just because of your white privilege. And I didn't like that. But now that I've hopefully gotten a little bit more maturity, I understand that where people are coming from. So the reason why they would make certain comments or, or think certain things is completely justified. Um, and I also need to accept that maybe the reason why I um, was able to go and study and, and get a degree was because of my privilege from the place that I grew up in and, and the family that I was raised in. And again, uh, I think like, like Chris said, that type of comments or that, that type of feelings that it stirred in me is nothing compared to what other people experience on a daily basis or even more frequently than that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and 
it was something that I needed to tell myself just to get over. And I think that's where my wife has been really amazing with, with having these type of conversations, because like I said, it's something that I wrestled with for a bit. I don't want people to perceive me like that, but that's just something that unfortunately is, well, not unfortunately, that's just the reality of the situation that people will think of you in a certain way because um, of our past and, and because of the, the experiences that we've had. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope that kind of answers my Reflection. Yeah, I mean, it it does. And and I'm always cautious about saying, for instance, uh, and and this is what I'm talking to people about, about communication, right? So there is a, a, it is a fact that um, certain things that you might experience may pale in comparison to certain things that other people might experience. But whatever you experience is your experience. And so I don't necessarily get to, let, let, let me say this. If I don't want you to belittle my experience in comparison to yours or qualify the, the pain of mine some kind of way that minimizes it, it may, I shouldn't do that with you either. If we hope to reach any sort of common ground, I, I then have to try and acknowledge whatever your experience is. So where you're right to say it does, it may, you know, like not be the same as uh, what my experience is. I think I do have to acknowledge what your experience is. That's difficult to do given the history, but it's, it's, it's something that needs to happen in order for us to be able to to really talk and have, you know what I mean? Like if where you're, what you're saying to me is not based in racism and, and ill will towards me, then we shouldn't be able to frame it as that in order to make me comfortable because we're never going to be able to have a good conversation about the issues. As long as we're able to do that, as long as we're able to dismiss whatever you might be feeling or going through as yeah, that's your privilege or yeah, that's your, you know, you're being racist or whatever. I think everybody's thing has to be brought to the table and say, this is what it is. This is this, this. And then we acknowledge that. And then, you know, um, and then go from there. So I just, I, I find that it's probably most difficult to have any of these kinds of conversations as long as we're allowed to not get clarity, but hold on to what we're thinking coming in the door on on either side, because, you know, like we were talking, Chris was mentioning the thing about me being followed in the store or whatever. When that happens, I'll just be honest. I don't think about the fact that you may have had the experience of some other black people stealing stuff. I get pissed off because I'm not doing it and it's not me. So it just straight, I mean, just real, no chaser. It makes yeah. me mad enough to, you know, start turning over stuff on the shelves. But, you know, the last time I did that, I got arrested. So I don't do that anymore. But <laughs> my point is, uh, you, you know what I mean? So as as enlightened and high, you know, uh, ground as I'd like to be to say, well, you know, they probably see a lot of whatever, whatever. I don't think that in the moment, especially in the moment and a couple moments after that, I think. I am spending money in this store like everybody else. And you are only following me because blah, blah, blah. And that makes me mad. I do not like being 
put in this category of being a criminal and I'm not. I would imagine that if I was born a white man and to see me would be to say that I'm racist and that anything I'm saying to anybody is coming from that place, I would acknowledge the history, but it would still be something that is hurtful and would make me angry if that's not my intention. So where I can't even say what it is I'm trying to say, because before you hear my words, you hear, you know what I mean, the history. I that's still to some degree unfair. I mean, you know what I mean? Not and it doesn't wash away any of the the pain of the history, but it's it's still unfair. And it's okay to say that that's unfair, I think. But you guys tell me what you think. Maybe I'm just I'm off and I'm singing kumbaya. Or I think for me, what um, again, it depends on on the context of the situation or the interaction that you have with somebody. But if there's an opportunity to have open, honest communication with somebody, then hopefully that will allow you to kind of express your self yourself a little bit better or at least get an understanding from why this person is um, responding to you in that way or why it's stirring up these feelings in you i think where i see a lot of um accusations being made towards people will be on on social media and mm-hmm. there people might not have the full story and so you see somebody who says one thing or maybe a, a tweet or something is misinterpreted and it blows up into it becomes a, a really big thing. Um, and, and I think that's that is probably also adding to why people aren't having these conversations is because we are scared that we will be classified as a racist or we will um, somebody will go up and, and dig up our past tweets where maybe somebody said something where they weren't really aware of what they were saying and um, that will kind of stick with them and, and they will be cancelled or, or um, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's the right term um, um, I, even though I'm not that old I'm, I'm not quite staying up with all the terminology about being right, cancelled right. and things like that but I think that also does add to uh, people not being willing to have these type of ca- conversations because we are scared of, of um, what the repercussions of that will be and I think uh, for me it's about becoming comfortable with what you are feeling and, and addressing that if it needs to be addressed um, and again being open when there's an opportunity to be open about it. And I'd imagine, you know, even as a, not speaking as a white man, but like um, that, especially for, for you, David, there are only certain, you're not going to, you're not going to convert everybody. And the, 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 the instance of someone profiling you as you're walking into the gap or you're going to, to the 7-Eleven, you, at the end of the day, we, you're just going to have to keep it, keep it moving because sure. those, that, that person isn't trying to have an intentional thought out conversation with you around their perceived biases. Um, you're going to, it's, it's, it's going to uh, take work or intentionality from you on, on your behalf to say, you know what, I know what I'm here for and I'm here to do this. They're profiling me. I can have this conversation with Chris. I can have this conversation about how do we turn the tide? Because a lot of the people that we, we have these momentary interactions with, as uh, Johan was saying, I, for me personally, I don't believe we can have culture changing um, engagement or intervention on social media because people are actually loud. People are actually the worst version of themselves and no one is invested in knowing the other person. So even when, 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 when I'm out at the mall, 
obviously maybe there's an opportunity to stop and talk to somebody. But if someone is, someone is looking at me in a certain way as I'm going into the shop, there's nothing I can do to, to do about that person's perceptions outside of I've stopped and we're having a conversation because also I've got to protect myself. Something you were saying earlier before we started recording that you also need to protect yourself as well. And there's an element of just, I've just got to keep it moving. Sure. No, you're absolutely right. And, and depending on, I guess, whatever the situation is. And I was using some of the thing about the store, even to say that immediate assumption, the same assumptions that's being made there are some of the same assumptions that we might take into a conversation where I'm able to have this conversation with Chris or with Jan, uh, you know, and, and we're able to actually spend some time sitting down and talking, but we might go into that conversation with some similar assumptions about each other before we actually start, you know, dialoguing and that can hamstring some of that dialogue. But the other thing is uh, in doing that is a, I would think a person would need to be able to say whatever it is they want to say in a safe environment or situation. I would like to think that I've created that or helped to create that because it it takes two people in in this instance, but help to create that with say like Chris, where he should be able to say whatever it is he wants to say in order for it to be aired out corrected if need to be that kind of thing because if he doesn't and he holds that in that thing doesn't go anywhere and somewhere in the back of his mind he's still looking at me as deficient do you see what i'm saying so until he's able to actually say hey man this is what i'm thinking and then i say no see that's not it and i pull the curtain back i mean you're not really having difficult conversations you're having like pseudo difficult ones with with polite you know rhetoric or whatever but in that sense you're having a dishonest conversation i should be able to say what i need to say or how i feel about a thing he should then be able to come back and say what he needs to say that's the that's that's where it's really safe and where you're really going to make any sort of headway and and cover any ground i should be able to say hey you know the only reason you gave those guys a life sentence, uh, judge, whatever, is because you felt like that. And then he said, no, that's not this. This is what my life has been like. And this is how I feel about this, this and this. And I look at all people and then and then my view goes, oh, OK, because I was thinking this, this and no, my track record is this, my this is. But I, he can only have that conversation if I say that and stop being polite in that safe space with him. Now that may be on aisle seven of the seven 11 when we're getting slim chins, <laughs> but, but it won't be, I know it won't be for me just walking in and then I happen to see the judge, but I'm just saying yeah. you wouldn't, you don't even have those a lot of times in situations that are supposed to be safe because I don't want to offend Chris or make him feel like the villain or Chris doesn't want to say anything that makes him look like the villain or Johan doesn't want to put his foot in his mouth. So these, then we'll walk away from it saying, whoo, we had a difficult conversation and we got through it when we never did really. It wasn't really that difficult. It was, it was kid gloves and it was safe. And I'm saying there's the history is too potent 
and 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 what I'm hearing, mm-hmm. uh, the South African history is more potent and more present, you know, because of uh, of how recent it is. It's it's as potent, I should say, and more present. Then we got to have some. We got to have some real uh, relationships and conversations in order to cover that ground. That's my thinking. I think if if I can maybe just jump in there. Um, sure. I'm not sure. Mzama will will know what's happening with um, our cricket team at the moment a lot better because I've I've kind of lost track on on um, I'm not that much in in the broadcasting space anymore. But so what we have in South Africa is we've got a, a sport called cricket, uh, which is the better version of baseball, um, which you guys have there. <laughs> but um, but we've recently there it had is the prejudice of... just reared its ugly right. But we've we've had a, a lot of um, a lot of hearings at the moment um, into some of the experiences that people have had in our national cricket setup and especially some of the racism that a lot of people experience. And I think this is a good example where we're, I'm not sure who mentioned it earlier in the conversation is this is doing the right thing. We're ticking a box because we are creating this space, but nothing is going to change if we aren't able to continue having these conversations over and over again, because I think what, and, and again, Zama, you, you need to correct me if, if I'm wrong on this, but, this space that is being created, it ticks a box and it looks nice. And we feel like, oh, we are addressing the past and we are addressing the past inequalities and, and it makes us feel good. But nothing is going to change if people didn't feel that they could speak openly in that type of forum or if they didn't actually do it because of where, they, where their heart is, if, if, they, if their heart wasn't really in the right place. Uh, and, and I think that's sometimes the danger with even having a conversation like this. I might finish this and say, oh, I really challenge myself. But again, if it stops here, then then what was the, the point of it? Yeah. It, it? It's meaningless. It needs to be ongoing. And I think, I'm not sure if it was Mzamu that, that said it earlier, it really needs to become part of our everyday conversation. It can't just be something that we do on a Saturday and we tick it off and we feel, okay, I did my part now. We really need yeah. to continue this um, all the time. And I think like some of the conversations, especially with the thing that's going on, um, so it's almost like a commission, uh, Chris and, and David, that's going on in, because our, a lot of our, the, some of the sports in South Africa were predominantly played by white people. So, so uh, mm-hmm. with black people coming into, um, into, in, into those spaces, there's obviously there's going to be tension and there's, there's people not, not, not people being people. Um, and so even as Johanna is talking right now, I'm also thinking that there's also a punitive element to it. When, so when that comes across someone there's always the thought of I've got something to lose by having this mm. conversation. I've got mm. something to lose by someone bringing up something from the past, as opposed to how can I actually use the lessons that we've learned to actually better the situation? Um, mm. Like I'm just reminded of a conversation of conversation that we had last year. So last year, mid 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 year, we had some, uh, there was, there was uh, some unrest in, there was unrest in South Africa um, which had had a political element of uh, 300 people died, um, mm. and so it was steep. There's economics, COVID lockdowns, so it was just a um, a whole pot for, for for just stuff to happen. And so we had a me, me and our cell group, and we're having these honest conversation about race. And on top of that, you've got we are we are still dealing with stuff around George uh, about George Floyd. Um, so we're grappling with that and we're having these difficult conversations 
And in South Africa, we've got this thing where it's affirmative action. So I want to think affirmative action plus where there's a, an, an actual intentionality in, in, we call it BEE, uh, an intentional um, gears, gears in, in, in legislated gears where we're trying to give black people opportunity. We're trying to give uh, disadvantaged, uh, previously disadvantaged communities uh, access to certain opportunities, whether it's working with the government or positions in corporate, that kind of stuff. And people being people, that's, that's caused tension for, for the last 20, 15 years. And so you have white professionals um, who in, 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 on, on this side, having a conversation like in our cell group saying, I don't know if I have a place here because as, as, the, as the situation in America, it's uh, black people are in the minority, white people are in the, are in the majority. They may be asking themselves, what does, what's the future of a black person in America? In South Africa, it's a question of what's the future of a white person in South Africa? So it's, and it's, being having been being courageous enough to actually listen to my friend saying that to me who's a doctor who's grappling with ah i don't know what my what the future is for me and my family in this country mm-hmm. and it's holding that tension speaking truth getting to know our individual stories but also being willing to lift up our sleeves because there's a thing of we can talk about it all day we can have talk shops but what are we going to do about it um, and, and I think that's one of the things that's been the, the real issue in South Africa. We're like, oh, we talk for, for, talk for days, you know? I mean, like we, we have commissions left, right and center, but what are we actually going to do about it? And, but it takes this kind of intentionality of face-to-face engagement and being willing to live life together that, that, that actually affects change because your children, um, Chris and David, are having the experience of seeing someone else's lived reality. So it's not just you who's getting to, to, to experience another, an, another, an, another people group, but you're actually passing that on to your children and creating that maybe this is the norm. This is how we should, we should, we should be wanting to, to, to reach across, across, across the line. That um, makes me just, it's inspiring what you just said and the notion of, living with people who are different from us so that we aren't relying anymore on an idea, but rather an experience, um, I feel is crucial to being able to put some of our ideals into practice. I, I'm, again, it's like, I'm honored to listen to the two of you talk about your lived experiences and um, the similarities and differences to what David and I have shared with one another about what we're going through in the the U.S. And I want to be respectful of of everyone's time. And sadly, we're near the end of the hour. I'm only hoping that we could, the four of us, arrange a part two to this conversation because I feel like we've we've come to some important conclusions and yet there are still so many questions I have. Um, but uh, I will say it's a conversation that I'm going to reflect on for, for quite a long time. Um, David, uh, close us out and then, um, and, and think of a way to get Mazamo and Johan to promise that they'll be able to come back. <laughs> right. No, I mean, I, I agree with Chris's uh, great conversation and, and, you know, it, 
each thing revelation sparks, you know, other questions and other topics for me. So, uh, and I appreciate, you know, you guys taking the time to, uh, to indulge us, you know, and give us your life experience and, and your thoughts on, you know, a lot of these issues from uh, your perspective in South Africa, but also on what you, you know, you're thinking about things worldwide. And uh, we, we need to have you back uh, for part two. We're going to have our people call your people and uh, <laughs> see if we can, we can get that set up. Um, because I, I do, I would like to, you know, sort of, you know, bridge some other experiences as well. So, um, you know, just for me, I know Chris just said it too, but thank you very much for, uh, for being here and for taking the time and, and for what you're doing with, uh, your children now, you know, the, the promise of, of that and what, you know, it could bring to the world when they're the age of my kids or Chris's kids, you know, is, is, is exciting. Uh, so that's going to be pretty good also, but thank you guys. Listen very much. Um, and, and I don't know if you have any, you know, closing remarks you'd like to leave us with, but I'll be meditating on what you're talking about. Also. Closing thoughts, Johan Mazama, please. Um, so the conversation around being, uh, going into popular media, um, the conversation around uh, what is social justice, what is restitution, what is, what, what, what is, what, what, what is right. Uh, I think also like I watch on this end, I watch All American and I watch The Rookie. Um, I think it's CW and ABC shows. And mm-hmm. in terms of like some, some of the, the subject matter that they've, um, that they've, because of what's happened in, in, the, in the last two years, how have you felt as, as Americans, as a black American, as a white, as, and as a white American, how have you felt the media has on that, on that end has actually held the space in terms of trying to have this, this conversation constructively? Um, just kind of to, I watch at least the rookie. I haven't watched all American. Uh, I've read up on what the show is about and some of the things that it's, it's covered, but I haven't had the privilege of watching it, but, um, I, I think, I think they have tried to be, uh, sensitive, particularly with shows like the rookie and like, uh, Chicago PD and some of the mm-hmm. other, um, cop dramas that, that I watched, um, there was a, a big push toward uh, storylines around police reform and and what that is. And a lot of the shows, I think, did a pretty good job of, of trying to ask certain questions from both sides of the police uh, issue with regard to, you know, how they treat uh, unarmed black men and and that kind of thing. Um, naturally, uh, they'll try to uh, tell a story where, you know, it's it shows that not all police officers uh, subscribe to this notion that uh, black men are expendable. You know, but uh, some of the shows did a good job of not shying away from the fact that there are some. Uh, police officers who do hold that belief and and that thought and that that's not okay. So I I think that they try to uh, cover it as well as you can cover it in an hour, you know, drama. Um, And, and it was a nice way to 
at least start, you know, some of those conversations. Um, even though real world, it's much more complex because people uh, primarily just they deal from if you're saying uh, don't kill unarmed black men, police officers, then you're anti-police in some people's mind. And that's it. And that's where the conversation starts. So the shows, they were able to script them out. So it's different than in real life where people are just, you know, shutting that down and saying either the blue line or Black Lives Matter and, and you know, never show the two meet. So, um, but but I think what they've been trying to do on some of those shows has been uh, to bridge that gap. And and I think some of those stories are are or have been done well, you know. Yeah. I don't know what Chris's I, take on it. Yeah, no, I can't comment intelligently on, um, well, maybe anything, but definitely not uh, those <laughs> shows. I haven't watched those shows. Um, I think that uh, the coverage of the issue in the news, televised news programs varies tremendously. Um, and you know, that's maybe a topic for a, a, another time, but it's, um, I walk away from listening to news very frustrated that there's such a large portion of the United States, uh, at least let's say voting adults who don't see things um, with any nuance who, um, as David said, you know, pick a side and um, yeah, are, are, are not understanding the, the real motivation behind say defund the police, which um, is admittedly by founders of that movement in retrospect, not a great um, title or name because it it can lead to some misconceptions. But um, just people uh, get frustrated when they're not willing to ask questions and try to understand some of the nuances of an issue or of a particular situation. Um, you know, it's right. That's what prejudice is, like prejudging, and mm -hmm. it just I I, I don't know. Um, how much progress we can make, but I, I remain hopeful and optimistic, but um, uh, the less I watch the news, sometimes the more hopeful I am. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Okay. Well, listen, thank you both so, so much. You've been extraordinarily generous with your time and um, we're so grateful. We will send you the link when this is edited and posted and, um, and certainly invite you back um johan is a comment yeah no yeah so i don't know i just want to say thank you very much before you you say goodbye just for the opportunity to be part of this yeah. uh, conversation because um I, I love these conversations because i always learn so much and um i i think there's there's not much value that i can add other than perhaps sharing some of my experiences but just gaining so much from from 
um, from having these type of conversations and, and for all the work that you guys do on that side, just to continue this conversation and the guests mm. that you've had on the show. And I also just want to mention that if you want to get me back on the show, if you can somehow find a way to send authentic New York pizza with real pepperoni to the side, <laughs> then I will make all my available time <laughs> yours. There you go. Um, but but that, that's the way to, to get me back on the show. No, but I, I really love this conversation. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you, you both so much. Uh, you can yeah. leave your mailing addresses, both of you, um, in the chat, and uh, we'll see if we can get some pizza headed your way. Right. <laughs> right, right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to I'm Black, You're White, Now What? You can find more episodes on the podcast channel Teaching What It Takes, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. To learn more about the work I do, visit www.preparingthepath.com. And to learn more about the work I do, visit drchristhurber.com.